Today we're talking with Mika Hunter, an Air Force veteran and the CEO of Female Defender. During her service, she created a program that improved instructor productivity that was benchmarked as the best across the Air Force. Later in her career, she was selected as the only female leader to evaluate a leadership course that helped select tactical specialties across all branches, including SEAL teams, Green Berets, and combat controllers, to help them get promoted to higher leadership roles. Mika was selected as an instructor to introduce the John Maxwell Leadership Program to the military in 2005, has been seen on the Today Show, Today.com, and has been published in Forbes more than a dozen times. What took you into the Air Force? Like, what, what made you choose the Air Force as your, <laughs> your branch to go into with the military? Uh, thank you for asking that, Trey. I, I chose the military uh, to actually help my family out. Mm-hmm. Uh, growing up, um, we had a pretty stable life. Um, my mom, my dad, and my sister and I. But a little later, my dad got sick and uh, it left him disabled. And during my high school years uh, with my sister and I, uh, my family just wasn't in a position anymore to put two girls uh, in, through college at the same time. And I'm a little bit older than my sister, so I figured, you know, hey, the military is an option. I can join the Air Force for a few years get the GI Bill, and that way, while I'm in service, I can help my family put my sister through school, mm-hmm. and I'll also have the GI Bill money after my four-year commitment, and then I could go to school. Yeah. So I chose the military initially because of a financial need. Right. Uh, but at about maybe a, a little over three years as I'm as I was trying to determine, you know, what the next steps would be, I had a, a mentor of mine who worked on me and just kind of worked on me and worked on me and talked to me and talked to me. And ultimately, he uh, changed my mind a bit and I decided to stay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that Besides, four years, you kind of liked it a little bit? Yeah, I decided, okay, you know what? Uh, I've been here for a little while. I had some potential at that time to make, you know, the next rank. And he, he kind of, you know, opened my eyes to some things like, hey, you know, uh, typically when you first, you know, come into the military, it's a little bit tougher in certain ways uh, than later because of some of the responsibilities that you are given as a younger person just coming in. Right. Uh, because typically, you know, the longer you stay in, there's this hierarchy, you know, in the military. So some of the times you get the assignments that you know other people don't want when you first come in unfortunately yep. <laughs> so it's like I, that even now in the military like, too <laughs> yeah so it's like okay i don't know so i, I had a supervisor you know kind of sit me down and talk to me and just say hey you know you've got this you know opportunity for some promotion and he began to show show me opportunities and, and really you know, take me under his wing and, and really mentored me and he changed my mind and, and I decided to stay because of that relationship that I had with that supervisor and ultimately ultimately a mentor of mine. Mm-hmm. So I stayed and uh, even at that point I had not decided to stay for 20. At that time I thought, okay, I'll, I'll re-enlist again. <laughs> That's what I'll do. At that point, you know, I'll re-enlist, I'll stay another four years and okay at that point I was at eight so I thought wow maybe I should just go ahead and re-enlist again you know so by the end of that re-enlistment I was over over 10 years so at that point uh, they forced to finish out yeah (laughs) yeah at that point I might as well finish and and also by that point I had really really fell in love you know with what it what I was doing in the military it, it became more than, you know, the reasons I, I came in for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I came in uh, the military uh, because of a family situation that I had. Uh, as a matter of fact, we didn't even have an Air Force recruiter in my small town that I was from. <laughs> I had 
been interviewed a few times by an army recruiter and someone uh, that was from my small town who had retired actually from another branch of service had said, you know, why don't you go talk to some other branches of service before you make your mind up? And I traveled to the next small town and talked to the Air Force recruiter that was there. So I ended up choosing the Air Force. They're probably not used to people coming and finding them. Instead you know of... what? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's really unfortunate because a lot of us, you know, um, even since, you know, I've been in, you know, I was in for over, uh, right at 21 years. And in some of the smaller towns, the Air Force doesn't have a recruiter. Uh, the Air Force is the smallest branch of service. Mm -hmm. So there's less, you know, recruiters that are out there recruiting. Right. So typically you often see uh, the Army because it is the, the larger branch of service. They, mm -hmm. They've got, the, you know, a massive amount of people. So you typically... Um, run into the army recruiters more often than the Air Force. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So hindsight, do you think that you would want to do the full, you know, 20 plus again or even go into the military again if you, you know, if circumstances were different? You know, I now that I look back, I am happy that I had the experience. I'm happy that I had the experience because I've grown a lot over the last 20 years. I do sometimes ask myself, you know, how would life be as an entrepreneur? Because, you know, now I've gotten out and at this point in my life, I'm starting this business. And then I wonder, well, gosh, you know, I wonder what life would have been like had I went to college and then started off as an entrepreneur uh, at that point. Because a lot of times, you know, when you enter the civilian space now, as um, a 20-year retiree from the military and you're entering into business, I think it's very different as a military entrepreneur to enter mm -hmm. uh, than as someone who, you know, went to college for business and that was, you know, the path that they decided to take to, you know, be an entrepreneur. Um, but... But all in all, I, I think um, I think I've I've had some opportunities because of the growth and the experiences that I did have over the last twenty years. You know, I had some experiences that I don't think I would have had anywhere else because oh, of, I'm sure you know the people that I got to meet. I got to meet so many people. Uh, you know, cultures. I'm from a really small town in Alabama, and I love my small town, and I'm, and I'm you know, proud of it, and I'm glad that I, I grew up there because it kept me out of trouble, you know, small town, you know, situation. Same, same. <laughs> I grew up in a small town. Oh, really? It was either you got in trouble because there wasn't anything to do, or you didn't get in trouble because there wasn't anything exactly. to do. Exactly, so. yes, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly the situation. So, you know, if you got, even if you got into trouble in that small town, Trouble in a small town isn't quite the same as trouble elsewhere. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and typically, you know, uh, if someone knew you, they'd go back and they'd let your family know what they saw you doing. And that happened to me, you know, growing up. You know, I thought I was out doing something I wasn't supposed to. And someone in one particular situation went back and told my mom. And it was years and years and years later before she ever told me who it was. I was grown up and in the military before she ever let that secret go. But, well, that's worse because yeah. then you have access to military aircraft. Oh my gosh, she kept a secret. That was like top secret information that she kept. It was that community. And, and I'm, I'm very, very glad to have, have grown up there. But having left the small town and having experienced the military, it was a benefit too. I got to, you know, experience um, culture here within the United States, but I also got an opportunity to travel to Honduras and Mali. Uh, I've been to Spain and Korea and Japan, and it, 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 I've had some experiences, you know, that 
I think just changed my perceptions and the way I see the world and the way I see life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I am happy that I spent that time in the military because I think even as an entrepreneur with some of the challenges that uh, a veteran entrepreneur may face having you know had served for 20 years and going into you know a civilian space and doing something you know very different from what I've done over the 20 years I've got this 20 year experience that I think has helped me you know in you know tackling the business space because Definitely. you know I, I've, I've been to locations I've had to learn you know, certain things really quickly. I've had to pick up on things, uh, figure out communications in other countries and in here, so. Yeah, I, I think experience matters a lot more. I mean, as somebody who went the route that you were saying, you know, in hindsight, what if you had done that? Yeah. I, I don't have military background. Uh, you know, most of the people in my family have, uh, but I don't. I went straight into college and I went for international business. Oh, and. Awesome. The intention was, you know, I knew that I wanted to start a business or something at some point. Didn't know exactly what, you know, the business was, but I knew that I wanted to do that. And so that was part of the reason I went that route. Mm-hmm. Um, well, made this change over to business. That wasn't my first degree choice, but that's what I ended up switching to when I realized that that was more in line with the fact that, you know, I wanted to start a business. So that made more sense. And I can tell you that I've learned a lot more about business after college. Uh-huh. than I did when I was in school for for business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think it really comes down more to the experience side than the, you know, the the education component of it. I mean, there's definitely things that you can learn there that are helpful, but especially with the fact that everything is basically online now anyway, mm-hmm. and there's so many people who are out there teaching, you know, all the various aspects. Fair. It's like you can basically just pull it all together between books and online and YouTube and everything, and mm-hmm. I don't want to say you don't need, you know, school to know how to do it, but you don't. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's plenty of people who, who, you know, like, you know, who don't go to bit who don't go to school for that mm-hmm. and still go on to start successful businesses. There so I, I think experience is definitely more important than, than, you know, the degree in it. Yeah. I think, uh, I definitely think that experience over the 21 years, uh, has really helped me, uh, in the business and has, uh, actually benefited me to have some of the successes that I've had early on in the business. Yeah. And uh, even the invitation that, you know, I've had here to be invited to speak with you today. So thank you. Uh, Well, I don't know if this is a big accomplishment, but you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) No, I appreciate it. No, I'm totally kidding. uh, Very happy to have you on here. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, we we were talking a little bit before we started hitting record on this. um, But I I do want to go back to some of what we were talking about because you were talking about how you know, during your time in uh, the military, you were, you know, all these various things that you did, and you were talking about, you know, how you were part of this leadership training, and, uh, you know, how you were working uh, in units where it was really sort of a mix of branches, Mm -hmm. uh, and even being part of the first, you know, Osprey unit in the Air Force, um, which was surprising to me to learn that the Air Force isn't always the first to get aircraft. Uh, <laughs> turns out that that's because if it's a helicopter, it might not necessarily, or helicopter categorization, it might not necessarily be the Air Force that gets it first. And I guess that makes sense. It's more of a infantry support type thing. So it makes sense that, that would be more with the Marines and the Army to kind of get yeah, started. Being in that unit, it was... Uh... A huge experience. Uh, I, before getting to that unit, I was a leadership school instructor, and things were done in a glass house. Uh, we were very concerned, you know, with you know having a really sharp uniform and, and making sure that everything was in place, and that we were following every single AFI and, and AFI is uh, Air Force instruction and policy, and we were responsible for teaching you know future leaders. So 
things were very regulated while I was a PME instructor and I learned a lot about leadership there uh, teaching you know the future leaders uh, who would come through but after leaving that academic setting uh, which was very uh, a lot of folks in the Air Force call it very big blue mm-hmm. uh, because it's very ideal this is the ideal leaders leadership situation here's how we hope it to be but you know you get the basis of what leadership should be and then you have to go and you have to apply what is ideal to a very you know what situation works in the real world. what really works yeah. yeah so you know if um ho- you know hopefully the idea is to try your best while you are an instructor to teach um, what is in black and white, but also leave that door open to have your students really understand that, okay, here's what I what is ideal. Mm-hmm. But you know, you, you get a classroom full of students, and you know, say a small classroom, you might have 14 to 16 students, um, and they're all coming, you know, from different backgrounds uh, in the room. You, you try to have them understand, okay, here's what's ideal, but okay, how are you going to be able to apply that when you get back to your workplace? Right. Everybody's got, you know, a different situation. Um, and a person who uh, uh, works in a small office uh, to where they don't have a lot of uh, manning change very much, that situation may be very different from someone who is in civil engineering, who's working construction, you know, out in the sun with their uh, airmen, you know, and who are having to lead and do that type of work. Right. You know, those, that ideal leadership situation is gonna be different, you know, for those, you know, two, two, two individuals. So you try to, in the classroom, one, have your folks to kind of understand that everyone's got a different situation and you try to have them learn, you know, from uh, each other and, 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 and me teaching and having them understand, you know, leadership principles taught me, you know, because I, I was having a brand new group of individuals who were coming from different backgrounds, you know, every time I had a class. Uh, who had different experiences and they were sharing all of that stuff, you know, and then they were giving me their, you know, their specific scenarios in their own, you know, workplaces. So I was learning as I was teaching. So I I left that uh, situation and I went back out to the Operational Air Force. Um, I went to Herbert Field, the CV-22 unit, uh, at the time that the Air Force got the first Osprey. And it was uh, another very interesting uh, situation and a, a leadership situation uh, that I had in my career that I'm extremely happy for uh, uh, because I learned so much. We, at that time, the Air Force uh, took a group of warrant officers who flew helos in the Army and they offered those warrant officers a commission to come over to the Air Force mm-hmm. and start that organization. And so the culture of this Air Force unit that was just getting started, that was still in the test phase, we weren't even operational yet, it was really different from that ideal Air Force situation because I'm in a unit that of for an airframe that we just got, there's a lot of Air Force officers who, you know, spent most of their time in the Army right. who are now, you know, the leaders, you know, of an organization for a brand new airframe. And it was it was just an interesting circumstance, but it was an amazing opportunity. Uh, we had individuals who uh, had retired and who also came uh, over from the Marine Corps because the Marine Corps got the first Osprey. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a lot of contract flyers who came over to the unit and who were hired to also do some training. So there was a lot of Army influence as well as Marine Corps in that in that unit that I got placed in. Uh, do so, the, do those uh, like being in sort of that melting pot of a unit and 
coming into that from a, a leadership training thing where you know you were saying that it was sort of what is the ideal way of leadership uh-huh. uh, do the branches sort of have like a variation into as to how they're they're teaching leadership and the the ideal leadership in the Army and Marines might be different than what it is in the Air Force or is it pretty similar uh, it, you know what it it depends on uh, really where you're stationed and uh, and I if I can explain that a little bit so the uh, uh, the Osprey uh, aircraft uh, was a part of the it will derived or started in the 8th SOS at Herbert Field mm-hmm. and Herbert Field is a special operations uh, base it's Air Force special operations so I think there in that particular situation was some commonality amongst the different services because the special operations community uh, work very closely together. You know, the Air Force supports the Army, supports the Marines, uh, supports the Navy. So a lot of the operations that happen, and even, you know, the outside law enforcement and the fire service, there's a lot of pulling pieces together and really learning how uh, to support each other uh, and and I did learn a lot about you know reaching out to uh, other sources and other organizations so that I can be prepared you know as we went out TDY or as we went out on a mission so there is a lot of that in special operations to where as an individual who is assigned to one of those units uh, the command does a lot of training to ensure people are very uh, capable. Uh, there's a lot of uh, time and uh, energy spent on training in those organizations and training to ensure that the Air Force is able to support the Army mm-hmm. uh, and that the Air Force is able to support you know, the Marine Corps uh, because a lot of within that command, the Special Operations Command, it's those branches that are uh, supporting uh, the mission together. Right. Yet, I, I'd say uh, in some other units, I, I'd, I'd say it may be a, a little bit different uh, as far as uh, leadership you know, is concerned. Uh, for instance, that was one of my last assignments and I had been in the Air Force probably uh, 14 or 15 years prior to getting there. And up to that point, although I had some you know, really great assignments, work fighters, uh, work B-52s, I was uh, at Barksdale when you know, 9-11 happened and the president landed. I've had some you know, unique experiences but even up until that point to go into special operations, I had not, as a leader, worked with the other branches of service in the way that I had worked with the other, worked with the branches of service in special operations. Right. Uh, and um, it, the culture in that, um, in that command is very different. What were some of the, like... Uh, not to try and squeeze the entire course and training into a few minutes of a podcast, but what were some of the uh, sort of like core things that were part of that leadership training that, you know, was being taught as, you know, these are sort of the ideal traits or features or or techniques of leaders? Uh, In the... Like when you were doing the the leadership training before getting into the Osprey Oh, (laughs) there were some various elements. The course was about uh, six and a half weeks, and it was very, very compact. The course is meant to uh, bring an individual in, uh, try to teach that individual uh, a a lot of information in a short amount of time, Mm -hmm. uh, about six six, six and a half weeks uh, time frame, uh, maybe a little shorter now. Uh, in, while being there, communications was one of the areas that was um, discussed much. We had speech training. 
uh, whether whether or not you know that's standing in front of a group of individuals and giving a speech to the group and trying to really understand your audience and learning how to speak and communicate you know with that group of individuals uh, that type of communication uh, to what we call interpersonal type communication to where you learn if you know how to conduct communication if it's one-on-one or if there maybe is, is three you know individuals let's just say your supervisor and you've got two uh, airmen or soldiers who are having some conflict issues how to engage that type of situation uh, and then we also uh, discuss a lot of written communication and being able to communicate in a way that you can be successful in the Air Force. Mm -hmm. And every, and, and you asked before if leadership is a bit different uh, across the services. And to kind of go back to your initial question before the special operations piece, yes because the different branches of services have their own jargon that they use. Right. And I, having uh, worked later in my career, you know, even after, you know, that, the Osprey unit, during the time in the Osprey unit, and even after, as I worked with different branches of service, you can get to, say, an Army unit or an Air Force unit, and the, the information that, that comes out of a person's mouth I sat there like, what in the world is that person talking about? Because, you know, we might use the same, we might be, we might have a discussion about the same topic, but we've got different terminologies for it. It's, it's just, it's kind of crazy, you know? Uh, I um, had a deployment once uh, and I learned a lot um, about the different jargon during this different, during this particular deployment because I was in charge of managing the flight operations for the Air Force, as well as the Navy, as well as the Army, as well as the Marines. And what I learned is that often, uh, not to dig too, too deep, but often when Congress decides there's going to be a particular policy for the armed forces in, in that particular circumstance in the aviation community, they may, decide on a particular guidance and they push it out and they mandate something and then it's up to the different service branches service chiefs to decide how they will implement and interpret that mandate so you have uh, the core information that is the same yet then the different branches of service services will add their own jargon and spin to it so when I had this particular assignment to where there were aircraft, you know, across all of the branches of service, and I was in charge, you know, of making sure that uh, I met the regulations and that we were, you know, fulfilling the mission uh, per each branch, branch of service's regulation, which all really derive from the same thing. Right. I learned like, okay, that's the same thing. They just use a different, you know, term for that. It's the same thing. So yeah, the, the, when it comes to leadership and the way uh, a lot of the communications happen across the different branches of service, there's different terms that the branches of service will use, you know, for the same darn thing. <laughs> so. You know, it, it's funny because I was talking with, uh, Doc Eric Wright earlier, uh -huh. um, and we were actually we were on our second attempt of recording a podcast <laughs> and had some technical issues, so we'll be doing that soon. But, but we did get a little bit of conversation, in. and mm -hmm. one of the things that uh, he made me realize uh, while we were talking, and it's something that, in hindsight, it seems completely obvious, but um, you know, was basically of looking at whichever branch you're in but just you know being in the military looking at the military essentially especially when it comes to the transition aspect mm -hmm. as just another company and that you know basically the the analogy that he was using was you know if you if you have an IT job at say Target mm -hmm. and then like let's say that you're gonna go start working for 
Amazon or Macy's or something and you're taking an IT job there. Mm-hmm. The the core fundamentals of that job are the same. Yes. But the way that it's communicated and the lingo and the um, you know, just the way that the group interacts together and everything is going to be a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And so it it's still gonna be a transition and it's still gonna be sort of that gray period of figuring things out and <laughs> learning the new culture. And uh and I guess it's you know, that's kind of what we're talking about here is that it all kind of comes down to communication, mm-hmm. which is that, you know, it, it's basically saying the same thing, but saying it in different ways. Yes, so, I agree. <laughs> and, and I guess that's why, you know, I, I forget who the quote is. Um, maybe it's Buffett. I don't remember. But mm-hmm. there's someone who's like, you know, if you don't, if you can't explain it to a, a five-year-old, then you don't really... You don't really understand it. You know what, Trey? I, w- I really wish that um, more people would use that, you know, would walk away, you know, with that concept of, you know, knowing that, hey. Stop making the lingo stop, so complicated. Yeah, don't be so complicated. <laughs> Just say, you know, what it is you're saying so that anyone can understand it because it doesn't really make you sound more intelligent you know you're just it's you're just confusing to, the person yeah it's best <laughs> to just communicate so that people can understand you know what you're saying and sometimes trying to make things trying to make things sound fancy is just not you know what you want to do well, lawyers would be out of a job if we could all understand oh what they were gosh. talking about <laughs> So that you know what he explained that was that was a great example um so yeah and so in in the pme world and pme is uh you know professional military education but it's leadership training mm-hmm. you know we we discussed a lot of uh leadership aspects and I, and i'm glad you brought that um that really great idea idea in because you know, as we taught, you know, individuals how to write in a way that it's, it's effective. One of those examples, you know, because if you've got a classroom full of students and you've got one student who is a cook and you've got another student who is an engineer and you've got another who is, you know, a lawyer and working in the, the, the legal, if you're writing um, a document that you want everyone across the Air Force or maybe even other branches of service to, you know, read and understand, you've got to just write it in plain language. Yep. You know, so yes, you do have to understand the jargon of uh, the community because it's just, you know, what comes along with it. But you've got to also be smart enough to communicate so that everybody can understand you. Because if only that small group of people can understand, you know, what it is you're trying to communicate, then you've lost a whole lot of other support that you can have. Right, right. <laughs> and unfortunately, that is one of the things that hinders a lot of individuals uh, to progressing to those higher levels of leadership because they don't get just that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, a lot of people will become, let's just say if you're, you know, an IT person and computer people and oh God, I'm definitely not a computer person and I do respect the IT community, but if you've got an IT guy and that and that person is really, 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 really good at what they do, if they don't get out of that area of being really great and really technical and, and if they don't learn how to communicate, you know, to the masses, uh, because you know, if you're on a military base, your IT so that you can support that entire mission of that base. Uh, if you can't learn to communicate so that everyone you are supporting understands, you know what it is you need, then chances are you will hinder yourself from progressing to those higher levels, right? You know, of leadership. Yeah. So that that um, yeah, because if you're really good at the technical aspects, then you might be in some sort of specialist role. But if you're really good at communicating that, then you might be the CTO. Yes. Even though that specialist <laughs> might know uh, whether or not they know more about it, though they might be equally as knowledgeable on the technical side, but because they can't communicate it, you know that that could be the only difference between the two. Yeah, you're right about that. So let's. Fast forward, you you did go the route of you know going the twenty plus years of experience with it, and 
were wanting to start a business during that time finally got to the point where you retired, so you did what every retiree does and started a business and got right back to work. <laughs> totally kidding, not everyone does that, but you, you decided, you know, keep it going. So followed that dream and did did go the route of starting a business and, and not only that, but also getting on the Forbes Council. Uh, so tell us about, you know, tell us about that and what it was that made you say, you know, this is what a female defender program is going to be and and what made you kind of get started with that and, and what that experience was like coming out of, uh, you know, because I mean, coming out of the military into starting a business, I'm guessing that there's there's probably a couple of things that you had to figure out, like, okay, do I need this? Do I need that? Charlie, so. there's, there's still some things I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> it's an always learning experience though, right? Yeah, it, is, it has been a great experience, but... Um, it's definitely a learning experience and I think as long as you're climbing and you're trying to do more it always is a learning experience you know if, if I think if you reach a certain point and you think you know it all eh, you don't really know that much you know right. if you ever reach that point and you think oh my gosh I got this and I know everything well you're probably not pushing yourself you know hard enough to go to the next level because there's always something you know I think there is to learn but that transition uh, has been an interesting transition. I actually, right before retiring, I started a blog for Female Defender. Mm -hmm. And I started writing stories about my experience as a woman in uniform. And I have had a, a lot of really, really great male mentors along the way. Uh, a lot of individuals who have you know, invested a lot of their time and energy and leadership to help me progress. Uh, yet, uh, the, you know, the longer I stayed in the military, the more I realized, you know, especially as you progress and you go further along in your career, you realize there are less and less women that you can reach out to to have that mentorship from. And although I had a really strong group of male mentors, um, there were, you know, some certain circumstances to where, you know, I'd find myself in a situation to where, oh, you know, I don't have a woman to ask, you know, about that. You know, I, I went on a particular um, uh, mission and I was the only woman and someone forgot about my lodging. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, we got through that type of thing, but if you are aspiring to take on you know a certain role or if you're aspiring to progress to a particular role and there is you know maybe a few women or maybe no women who have fulfilled that particular role you know it's that creates a bit of a challenge like okay I don't have any I don't have another woman to ask you know how did she deal with this particular situation you know I've got a lot of great male mentors who did help me along the way and I think um, their their leadership has helped me to get to where I am today but I also realized that I was fortunate in having um, so much support and I look back on a lot of women I know along the way that if they had someone to invest in them they could have made it a whole lot further um, and so I start writing about these, you know, situations and I start writing, you know, uh, about some of my experiences and uh, it became a bit popular and I wrote for a, a women's career magazine, which wasn't even a military magazine, it was just a women's career magazine and someone from Forbes happened to read uh, some of the articles so I got an invitation to sit on uh, the Forbes Leadership Expert Panel. Uh, so I have been able, uh, my company, I've been able to represent my company for Forbes to advise you know, CEOs and executives, uh, sometimes on the general topic of leadership, but often uh, from a military standpoint. And they love it. It's, it's really interesting, and I think it goes back to what you mentioned before. 
you know, about, hey, when you communicate something, don't be so technical, you know, don't try to make it too fancy. You know, speak in a way to where everyone can understand it. So I tried that, you know. Uh, I wrote these stories about my experiences uh, as a woman in, in the military, and it was clear that it was from a military perspective, but I think I wrote it in a way to where anyone could benefit from it. So for some of the opportunities that I've had with Forbes, uh, and and they have uh, asked even for more uh, things. It it's been written in a way, you know, to where even a CEO of a company who's never had, you know, any you know military background, to know that okay, here is leadership. Mm -hmm. uh, and and with some of my relationships uh, with Forbes and some other uh, organizations. Uh, I've tried to communicate leadership from a military perspective, but in a way that the civilian sector can understand that, hey, you know, even when these folks, these military folks and people in the fire department and police uh, force, they're retiring, they're ready to come out and they're ready to work for you because leadership is leadership. And I think I've been successful to be able to communicate leadership in a way that everyone can understand. So I uh, have been able, you know, to be, uh, I've had, you know, that opportunity uh, to work with them uh, and also Ink Magazine uh, on a program. Uh, so my company is actually launching an online course for military women. And the, the part that I have not mentioned as of yet is that my company focuses on the, the leadership development of military women as well as law enforcement and the fire service. Right, first responders as yeah. well. Yeah, so, uh, and uh, I kind of sometimes uh, categorize some of my experiences, you know, as a military instructor and then some of those experiences in the special operations community. Because when I got to the special operations community, we worked a lot with the local community to make sure that you know the the mission was getting done. Mm -hmm. So you got a lot of small towns, you know, to where there might be a firefighter, female firefighter, who's the only one, you know. And I can see that happening, you know, in my own small town. Right. When I went back home just a few months ago, I, I visited uh, the police station, and there's two. Uh, female police officers there, you know, on the team, and there's actually no firefighter, female firefighters on the team, um, and it just kind of works out that way. But uh, my organization is, you know, that opportunity for, you know, women to have that mentorship and that coaching that they, you know, may seek, and also to meet other women, you know, and build a network. But uh, yeah, I. Um, had the opportunity uh, with you know some you know other organizations to do some leadership work uh, for you know other businesses, um, and uh, I'm I'm just grateful for that and hope that you know things continue to grow and the opportunities continue to come, and that you know my company really helps uh, women in uniform uh, in a way that the outside community, you know, really understands the way, you know, that you do because you work with, you know, the veteran community and business so that people understand, you know, what uh, military folks can bring to the table, you know. So when it is time for transition, you know, maybe that transition is a bit smoother because, you know, coming out from serving and trying to go into business, it's it's a learning you know experience you know and and fortunately I I did have some experiences that I think really helped mold me and helped prepare me and is probably some of the reasons why I've had some of the opportunities that you know I've had and I'm grateful for those things uh, and but you know although I retired I'm still connected to the community oh you're because, still very much working yeah in the because I'm so of still course. yeah I'm still working with the community so. yeah. Um, uh, it's, it's a bit of a learning, but, you know, even being in the military, I, 
I got pushed a bit um, and it wasn't until, you know, a little later in my career, I understood the push and appreciated the push. Right. Because, you know, when you're younger, like and, oh, yeah. <laughs> when you're younger and then you're wondering, why did my supervisor or why is my commander asking me to stay late? And my friends, they're out and they're having a good time and I got to go catch up with them, you know, after I'm doing this. You wonder, like... Why do I have to do this? And then years later, you're like, thank God the person was helping me out. You know, I didn't see it at the time. Right. But uh, some of the times, you know, it's years later that you realize, okay, that person was really taking care of me. It didn't feel like it at the moment, <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful, you know, for those experiences. And I think, you know, those experiences, um, helped me to, you know, start my business because it, it gave me a basis uh, for my business. It's, right. You know, it's the whole basis of the, the, the business. It's right. The it allowed you to see that need that was there and, and help create something to help fill that need. Yes, absolutely. So I am um, grateful for uh, that 21 year experience. Uh, it is a bit of a, a transition to go from the military to business um, it is a bit of a learning curve but I, I think some of the successes I've had is definitely because of that time frame so what are some things that uh, women who go through the course that you have coming out what are some things that they can plan on taking away from that learning from it how how long is the course is it is it self-paced is it online Bunch of questions about okay, it. Go. No, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, this particular course is a it's a twelve month seminar, and it is bite sized pieces every single month because okay. you know the women that I'm working with, uh, they are on shift work. They may work you know twenty four hours on, twenty four hours off. They right. may have TDYs or deployments, so they're able to log on get this uh, leadership coaching and uh, development that they need once every single uh, month. And they're able to do it at a time that they're available to do it. So I wanted to ensure that there was that, that flexibility that was built into um, the program. Uh, and it also provides uh, the women the opportunity to network with other individuals. Uh, it's, it's kind of like what we talked about earlier. Uh, a lot of the times you may not really understand how a person has developed you until years later. You know, as you progress, you know, in the ranks, uh, the higher uh, leadership a, a, a position that you obtain, it's, it's beneficial for you later on in your career to have built this network of military leaders, uh, individuals who are in law enforcement and then in these firefighter situations because as you become this leader, if you've got this network that is massive, uh, it can benefit you, you know, and the people that you're serving. Uh, and it just makes getting the mission done that much easier because you, you've created all of these contacts that you're able to reach out Right. Um, so you have a little, you know, less trouble of, oh my gosh, who am I going to call to try to get advice when I need something, you know, pretty quickly. So it creates uh, that for that individual uh, as well as that uh, learning uh, that is necessary to mold an individual. Um, I will later um, launch some programs that are shorter. That will happen later, but I, I feel that, well, research shows that uh, leadership doesn't happen overnight. We right. all know that. Right. You know, leadership doesn't happen in just one class. You just can't go take a class and then become developed and ready and, oh my gosh, I can just do, you know, everything I need talk. to do. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, we wish that could happen that way. So it's, um, it's done over a longer period of time because... Uh, it's more effective that way uh, when it's a longer period. Plus, someone who sticks through a longer commitment is more committed to the concept and the 
the benefit that's going to come from it anyway. Yes, Trey. And that's another reason why I, I started with the longer uh, program, uh, because there's that level of commitment of individuals who will be drawn to that, you know, that are committed to their own professional development who will be ready for it. Right. Uh, I, you know, had done a lot of, you know, leadership training, you know, in the inside of the Air Force while I was serving. And I also did a lot of training and education that I did for myself outside that was very civilian based. Um, and I think that is really, really important um, because there will be life uh, after, you know, the military. But I, I had this one situation and I don't want to be too prolonged, but when I first got to the leadership training, uh, a training school and I was a brand new instructor my uh, commandant which is the person who was in charge of the academic school he pulled me to the side and uh, it was one another one of those situations that was uh, on the weekend <laughs> he's like you know what I want you uh, to, to come out to one of the ROTC units and teach you know a group of high school students and, you know, I thought at that point, okay, you know, I'm a staff sergeant, I'm a leader, and, uh, you know, I can go out and I can teach, you know, ROT, <laughs> no big deal. When I got there and, you know, realized that being a leader in the military and having a certain rank, there are individuals to a certain degree who have to maybe do what you ask. Um, and, and that's pretty standard, uh, that just kind of comes with the territory. But when I stepped outside and I began to lead individuals who did not have to do what I say because I had a particular rank, but I had to earn their respect as right. a person, that's when I learned leadership. That's you know, the difference between a manager and a leader. Yes, yes. So I, I, that's when I got it, you know, because I had to keep going back over there and going back over there, and I had to change my strategy. Like, okay, well, forget that whole rank thing. Let me connect with these folks because that doesn't work, you know, because I kind of got, you know, at that point, you know, I went into the military young. I got in this certain mind frame. So when I stepped outside of that and I learned how to be a leader, as a leader and to try to influence individuals who don't have to do what you say because you've got a certain rank, that's when I, it made me just a better person and a better leader even in the military because you learn to respect people as people and to approach your leadership and your style in a way that isn't based on the rank or the position that you've got but just you, you being able to step outside uh, of leadership, you know, outside of the military, it, it prepared me, you know, for I'm not going to approach things, you know, this way. It's better to do it that way. You know, that will get a person's, you know, attention. You know, Finding what resonates with people. And, yes, and, and what it, really, really matters to them. Yeah. You know, I approach things um, differently after that, you know, because, you know, if, if you... If you've got a win-win, you know, situation, if you've got someone, I had a, a staff sergeant one time and she had some difficulties with childcare and uh, sometimes on, you know, the military base, you know, although there's shift work, childcare isn't provided to you 24 hours a day, mm -hmm. but the mission, there's night missions, things, you know, are around the clock for the military missions. Right. So I you know, took away that, you know, I know what the policy says. The policy says that person's supposed to have a backup plan. But you know what? Here's this person and here's this, this situation. And let me just be realistic about it. Let me work out something for her. Mm -hmm. And I and I put her on a shift and it worked out for her. But it ended up making my office better. And then she was so happy you know, and and it relieves so much of her stress, you know, in her own personal situation that she just wanted to do so many good things to show her appreciation 
for me bending the rules, you know, to make sure, you know, her family was taken care of. Right. So her family was taken care of. You know, she was able to do things for her kids. It relieved a lot of her stress. And then it made my office better because she was, you know, so appreciative of me bending those rules. You know, hey, here's what the AFI says. Yeah, I get that. But let's put a little bit of reality into this. The base doesn't provide, you know, really sometimes what we really need, you know, to fulfill that policy. Yeah. So, you know, when I did that, um, it, it made a difference. Yeah, here's the AFI, but... There's that military leadership and there's that hierarchy, you know, and there's times to when, yeah, there's things that must be followed. There's no, you know, going, you know, there's no straying from it. But then there's that we got to have some balance here. You know, let's do things for people because when you do things for people, they'll do things you know, for you. They will do things for you. So it's uh, having, you know, learning how to lead outside of the military helped me be better for the military. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, when is the when's the course launching? The course is launching next month. Okay. So uh, it's available for individuals to sign up today. Okay. <laughs> uh, so uh, I can provide you that link. Yeah. And what's what's the, is it at the main website that they can go to? For uh, that? Yes. Uh, if they go to the main website, which is www.femaledefender.blog, they can look under the about section and okay. sign up, and I'll send them more information that really details, you know, all of you know what they will be getting. And uh, we'll provide them the information that's necessary for this course launch. And then I can even provide them information later down the road for, you know, additional things yeah. uh, that we have. But in addition to the, the course, we also have uh, interviews, you know, that we've done with, um, we've done some interviews with Los Angeles, the Los Angeles Fire Department. Uh, we just brought on an ambassador from New York Fire Department, the deputy uh, chief there. That's great. Who's representing the company uh, and a lot of others. So um, it, it, I think it'll be a benefit, you know, to visit the website, but we absolutely love for folks to go on there and sign up for the course so that there's not only that, you know, aspect of the uh, interviews that are there on the page, but that information that person will be privy to more intense training and development for their career. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. So what, um, I'll, I'll go ahead and ask the one question that I have as sort of a, a pre-planned question because everything else I try to leave not that way. It's not as fun, but uh, I, I like to ask this one because I know everyone has a different answer on it and there is no right or wrong answer to it and it, it applies to everyone, which is how do you personally define success? Oh gosh, <laughs> that is an excellent question. That is an excellent question. I I I redefine what success is often. Yeah. Uh, I think that uh, you have to for your you know your current situation you have to set goals you know realistic goals of things uh, you can meet, but as you meet those goals. To continue to progress and enjoy life, success becomes something different. You know, you have to be flexible. You know, with the things uh, that that you do in life. Uh, I, before even going to uh, special operations command, I wanted to go to the Thunderbird unit. <laughs> and at that time, success was being on the Thunderbird team. And there are some really, you know, really successful people that are there but I didn't get picked up for that you know so sometimes you have to be okay with redefining you know what success is right you know, for you and and all the t you know all the times you know someone may not let you in the door you know that you're knocking on uh, and then you have to decide okay well that didn't work out and that's okay you know what's yep. next what's meant you know for me and, I, and I'm glad and I'm happy and I'm proud, you know, I went to that command because I learned so much uh, that I'll be able to take with me for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that's a great point. It's something that you're always redefining because, mm -hmm. like you said, things happen and, you know, what you're planning maybe doesn't work out. So then it's like, okay, how do you pivot and 
you know, keep going and find the next thing to work towards. Yes, Trey. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming out here. and Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. A big thank you to our guests and thank you for listening. To connect with our guests on LinkedIn, hear more episodes, and find additional content, please visit militarytransitionstories.com. And please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast so we can continue to have amazing guests on. If you or a loved one are preparing to move or relocate, our team would love to help you regardless of where you're moving. We have a trusted network of agents across the country ready to make your move as easy as possible.